Someone asked me recently, what is the coolest part of my job as CEO at Clear Motor Market? I said, well, that's easy. The fact that every day I get to dig into our clients' businesses to learn not only what makes it tick, but what we can do as their partner to deliver the marketing that truly matters to their business. It's like being in a living, breathing case study every day. And for that, I am truly blessed. Hello, Collisions YYC listeners. It's with an overwhelming sense of pride that I wanted to share with you that the marketing agency that I had the pleasure of co-founding and leading is turning 15 years old. Yes, their motive marketing is 15. I wanted to shout out a huge thank you to all of our clients, past and present, as well as our vendors and all of the incredible team members we've worked with over the years to make this milestone possible. Check us out at clearmotive.ca to learn more about what we can do that matters to you. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to my guest this morning, Ms. Erin Thorpe. How are you doing, Erin? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. We met, we're joking as always. We met sometime through somebody and now we're having a podcast together. It seems like the story of my life as my, as my audience knows. So I, I will spare them uh, all the one degree of separation, biggest small town ever Calgary story, which, yes. uh, which reigns supreme. But um, I've been geeking out on your website this morning and reading through your LinkedIn profile. And so I'm just going to read your keynote speaker, author of Inside Out Empathy, Leadership Consultant broad topic, a topic I'm incredibly interested in because the evolution of leadership, what we, how we see leaders, how we were raised seeing leaders portrayed through Hollywood, which was very incorrect to yes. some of us, many of us being on leadership journeys of, you know, and you, I think it read right off your website. Oh my God, you've landed the job and like, oh shit, now, now what? <laughs> so yeah. with that said, um, give us a little bit of like who you are, what you do, what, what gets you out of bed in the morning, a little elevator speech, and we'll kick off from there. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's great to be here. So I'm an engineer by trade, and now I talk about emotions and empathy. So that right <laughs> off the bat usually gets people looking sideways. Um, so I spent uh, just over 20 years in the construction industry, delivering projects, mostly further uh, on the contractor side in commercial construction. So had my fair share of um, interesting, let's call them leadership moments, uh, both being led and and then trying to emulate this leadership style that I was taught um, was the correct way. And I use the air quotes around correct. <laughs> yeah. um, and really, uh, I would say, you know, mid-career kind of really struggled with like, this doesn't fit for me. And started to get, kind of get curious. I actually, um, I was telling a group of people yesterday I definitely had those thoughts mid-career around like, I don't think construction's for me. I think I totally made a huge mistake going into engineering. Um, I love it. I'm good at it. But this culture and this way of being that I was being coached and groomed into uh, just didn't fit, a like it didn't personally align for me. Uh Around that same time is when, you know, like we're building a family. So now I've got three kids. So, you know, you're leading at work and you're leading at home um, and you've got all these leadership roles. And I started to get curious about, you know, like what, what is this really supposed to look like and what feels good for me? A big part of the feedback that I got my entire career was that I was too emotional. I needed a game face. I needed to toughen up. Um, uh, I definitely had my fair share of tears in the construction boardroom. So for anyone listening, uh, this is okay. It's, you know, <laughs> it's not a career limiting move like we once thought it might be. Um, but I realized, you know, through kind of my own personal journey over the last, you know, probably eight prop coming up on, on a decade now, um, one, the, the emotional side of me, yes, it needed some work and I needed to understand it, but it wasn't a, a limiting factor. It was actually one of the things that made me a good leader. I just needed to learn how to tap into it um, and leverage it. I definitely had leadership experiences, myself being led, where where people met me with this skill of empathy and I noticed the difference that it made in my level of engagement, my level of commitment, my level of loyalty, um, how much I gave the company. And it really got me interested in, okay, like what is the secret sauce? You know, why does this work for some people and not for others? And so what gets me out of bed this, like right now and this morning is one, being able to have conversations like this, but working with leaders and teams to develop this skill of empathy, because I think one of the biggest Call, let's call it like, you know, the crisis that most of our companies are facing right now is people, yeah. keeping people, engaging people, uh, having productive people. Uh, you know, we've all got the widgets and the things and the things we want to build, but we need people to execute on this work. And there is a labor shortage. And how do we keep them? And the cost to replace people is astronomical. 
And one of the biggest, you know, skills that I think leaders don't work on enough that can make a huge difference in this department um, is empathy. And that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. I love it. I, I, heartfelt, honest, and uh, and it, I could hear the journey even in this way you told the story that it is evolving and it is evolving for all of us and leadership isn't a one and done ever. Do you ever. focus, just curious, it's maybe easy, you know, engineer and empathy, those two words don't go together. Let's start with that. The construction industry yeah. and empathy. Do you, may, do you have industries, like do you circle back and work primarily in the construction space because you know it and you understand you've got credibility there or is this something that you see? And then I'm just kind of curious where, where, who's dragging their feet on this and where also maybe do you see this being more embraced or I love you. I love the word curiosity. I love that's one of my superpowers. I certainly work yeah. on it constantly. Are you seeing industries where a curiosity about this is is blossoming a bit more than others? Just to maybe kind of put it into a few buckets without <laughs> without yeah, pigeonholing. So, so I think what's interesting is um, I am drawn towards kind of the engineering and construction industries. One, it's where you know, when I made my pivot in my career, that's where my network was. So, you know, when you announce to your network, you're making this change, that's who sees it. Uh, so yes, I do a lot of work in that, a lot of work in oil and gas, um, service companies, owners, uh, operators, that type of thing. Tech, I think is another industry where, one, it's been traditionally male. It's been traditionally logic, rational problem solving, which we know doesn't work with emotions and people. <laughs> um, you know, it does when people aren't having big emotions, but when people are having big emotions, you can't meet emotion with logic. It's like oil and water. They <laughs> just we've, don't we've mix. All, we've all been on either side of those situations. We have been. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so tech is another industry. I would say um, people are getting curious about this conversation. And oddly enough, just lately, um, I want to say healthcare, but more so like veterinary medicine. Um, oh, that's interesting. Which is really interesting. It, it just feels very specific. <laughs> well, it is very specific. Hmm. Um, and it's interesting because at first blush, you're kind of like, but these are like empathic people. They're taking care of pets. They're doing all of this that, stuff. Yes. Thank but you. That was my thought right away going, well, this feels like that would be a fertile ground for that to be existed. <laughs> yeah. But I think what's interesting and what I'm learning about the industry is, um, a lot of people go into veterinary medicine because when they're introverts and they love pets, but they have to deal with people because every pet has an owner, but they don't like people (laughs) and sometimes two owners and sometimes two owners that don't get along and right. And so they didn't go into veterinary medicine to deal with the people, but they got to deal with the people. My vet actually said that to me. She goes, this job would be amazing if I didn't have to deal with pet owners. (laughs) Right. To me. Yeah. That's funny. But you know, these vets, they have to run clinics. They have to have staff. They have to have meetings. They're going through the same thing. I mean, their experience through the pandemic was unlike any of ours because everybody got a pet and their business boomed and they're trying to figure out how to do this, you know? So it's been interesting. That makes Um, makes, makes sense of sense actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you made a comment earlier and I wanted to touch on it and not camp out on it too long for sure, but male versus female. And I, sorry, Mm. I don't want to say male versus, I'm going to change that male or, and or female predominantly male led industries and maybe a lack of empathy or more logic based and, is that a factor? Does that play in? Is that starting to go? Oh, I think it's starting to go away. Maybe not fast enough in some industries or just across the board, but how much does that play a factor when you look at gender in an organization and some of their leadership challenges or opportunities for growth? Yeah, I think, you know, definitely societally, we have, there are acceptable ways for men and women to behave. Right. And and I think this is kind of where this is born out of, it's definitely shifting. It's definitely changing. We're, we're changing this dialogue around what it means to be masculine, what it means to be feminine. Um, and there are still these very entrenched cultures inside, um, corporations, uh, especially where things have worked. If the company has been successful, if they've got an 80 year track record, they're like, let's not, it's not broke. Let's not fix it. Why do we need to change? So I hear a lot of that, you know, like it's always worked this way. So let's just continue to do it. And I think what, (laughs) what teams and companies and leaders are running into is it's not working anymore, right? They're seeing higher rates of turnover. Back to the people variable you touched on earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Back to, you know, like higher rates of turnover, higher rates of burnout, higher rates of people moving. So it's not working, you know, this, this, this rather, um, 
kind of outdated version of masculine leadership, which is don't bring your emotion to work, just show up and do your job. Um, don't have feelings, don't, you know, just stay in your logic and reasoning. Um, and we know as human beings, we are feeling creatures. Um, you know, for a long time, I took that feedback that I got at face value, which was you're too emotional. And I went, Oh gosh, yes, I am. Cause I'm, you know, I shed a tear or I had a big feeling. And then I really got curious and I'm starting or I had to a big observe. feeling like we haven't, like we have a choice. Like that's so funny. You stop right? having those big feelings. You turn those just off. Stop. Just turn yeah, it off. Just fix that part of you. And I, that's literally the feedback <laughs> so I got. And insane. So, it's so ridiculous. So I'm trying the way you say it out loud. I love it. Fix myself. Right. And I'm like, I say it now and it's stop having crazy. a big feeling. <laughs> Only small feelings for you, Aaron. <laughs> What I love it. I'm sorry. I can't I'm, help but laugh I'm, at it. <laughs> I know. I know. You know it, it's laughable now. But I look around and I was looking at these job sites and I'm watching, you know, um, because again, when I started, so late 90s, um, I was literally the only female on the job site for most of the, I would say the first five years. Then there was the odd tradesperson, um, but I was in a leadership role. You know, I was the project engineer. I was the construction manager. I was leading this team of multiple companies and multiple people delivering these big commercial construction projects. And I'm watching these people and I'm like, everyone's having big feelings, but the way we express it is very different. You know, it was totally acceptable for someone to throw a hammer across the room and embed it in the wall when they got upset. That was totally fine. Or throw a chair or pound on the table or slam a door or throw something across the site or, you know what I mean? Like this was totally fine. The, 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 but for the me aggressive, to cry the aggressive made side. people uncomfortable. Yeah. Which is so, right? which is so interesting. Like you said, that's ingrained, and so, it's expected. And it's also been over like uh, pop culture produced in our society of that's what that looks like. The door slamming and the punching the wall and all yeah. that insanity that if someone did that, I'd be like, well, I'd just leave. I'd be like, what is going on here? No, thank you. But yet I grew up in, I, yeah, see, seeing that as acceptable where immediately someone starts crying. You want them to stop crying. You want to minimize that. Like you run away from it, but throwing a hammer yeah. is okay. That's not, I love the context of that. <laughs> right. And so what became, you know, huh. as I got more and more kind of, I would say, I guess, you know, uh, like confident in my space and curious about this and kind of was like, felt more okay to call this out. It was sort of like, okay, well, if my crying makes you uncomfortable, it really makes me uncomfortable when you throw something across the room. You know, like these, it's the same expression or it's the same emotion we're feeling. We're both frustrated. We're both angry. Um, we're both let down and pissed off and whatever you want to call it. The way we express it is very different. Um, Which and- I want to be so clear. Everyone's entitled to feel that way because that's what it is to be human and, and, and interact with other humans. Exactly. <laughs> Let alone sometimes how you feel that way about yourself if you don't live up to your own expectations and like that's the you know the personal evolution of how you process your own successes, you, the own filter you see yourself. Throw those all into a group of people. It, it it's yeah. not not going to happen. <laughs> exactly. And so through my own journey, the more I got to know my own emotions, my own inner landscape, the things that made me feel the way they made me feel, um, the better I got at expressing like, oh, I'm frustrated. That let me down. You know, I'm overwhelmed. Just little things. But the more I could verbalize them, the more capacity I had to hold my own emotions and that of the team. And so that was really curious to me. And I see that a lot in leaders today. They don't want to go inside. They don't want to see what's going on for themselves. They don't want to say, hey, I got a lot going on at home or I got a lot going on at work or this let me down or this frustrated me. And so it it leaves them with very little capacity to hold the emotions of their team. And their whole team is made up of human beings that are having a human experience that are feeling. I like, I just like that. Whether they identify as- the emotions of your team is a great, is a great line. Yeah. And it doesn't matter whether your team identifies as masculine or feminine or whatever, like they're human beings. They're all having emotions. No, but with the word emotion, you bring it up above it or, or you kind of equalize that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, emotional intelligence, popular word, <laughs> you know, psychological safety. We can get into some yeah. of those paradigms that are starting yeah. to show up a lot more 
but I like what you said. Like, this isn't just something that is functional or relevant in a team environment. Also, are, are you being empathetic with yourself and your own reactions and your yeah. triggers and understanding I, like, some of the words you use? I love, like, what's your internal landscape? And we joked before we got on air, you know, when's the last time you asked a six year old for advice? Well, probably every day because something yeah. you picked up on or some way, some you responded to a trauma, which could have just been not getting the thing you wanted when you needed it when you were eight. And again, I talked to certain individuals in my life. So I'm like, wow, that's ridiculous. I'm like, well, think about it. Where do you think this operating system came from? <laughs> it came from learned experiences throughout your life when maybe you weren't in control of every situation. <laughs> yeah. We're always practicing who we are becoming, right? And so what you, <laughs> oh, so what, you, what you practice is how you're going to show up. And so if you constantly numb out your own feelings, don't make space for them, ignore them, push them aside. You know, like I call it like the little Instapot, right? Everyone knows what an Instapot now is. Nobody knew what a pressure cooker was, but everyone knows what an Instapot is. <laughs> I'm so a marketer, you know, like, so I appreciate a good, a, a, a good rebranding. Absolutely. <laughs> every time you ignore the feelings of yourself, doesn't good or bad, um, you know, positive, negative, however you want to uh, call them you put them in this little Instapot and you crank up the pressure in the heat, you know, and, and what was happening. And this is certainly what my experience was, is I was trying to do that, trying to fix myself, right? Like don't feel anything, get a game face, just, you know, focus on logic and reasoning. And then they would, this thing would just explode in the middle of, you know, somebody would look at me sideways or say just the wrong word. And it was just like, I lost it. Um, and it was showing up at work and at home. Right. I had no capacity for my kids, my family, my husband, no capacity for work and team and all the things. And I don't know why, but it seems that, you know, we hit this mid career point. So we get all these responsibilities at work from a people perspective. And it's the same time we're growing our families. And so we have all the cycles of life, right? You know, we have all these responsibilities. So we kind of get this double whammy of leadership responsibilities, both on the home front and the work front. And none of us are equipped to deal with it. I like what you said about um, it just like how it all, sh- how it all, how it all shows up, but thinking about this from the perspective of capacity and like, literally this is a, like, this is a performance conversation. If you want to put it back into the realm of, you know, corporate speak and we're going to drive Absolutely. results. And if you have reduced capacity to perform and deliver and deliver on projects and grow a team and support other high performers and that whole environment. Like simply the argument could be simply made outside of all the other fluffy stuff. That this is actually a performance approach. <laughs> you know, I like not to bring it back to that or trying to, to take away the rest, but it, it, I've had conversations where this gets minimized. Well, it's a waste of time and it's not worth it. And why would we bother with it for capacity and increased performance actually? Like, so when you're having it your is. initial conversations with companies, just like, I, I'm just curious of the progression from like, they call you or they reach out to you because something isn't right. Maybe it's a journey. Maybe it's their own awareness. Maybe, but like, it's, do you have to even let empathy in the room first? Then it's like, oh, you mean this isn't what's wrong with the rest of the people in my team? Maybe I can actually look inwardly. Like, it does the journey kind of work from the broad all the way down? And it has to end up at the individual, no matter who you are or what yeah. level you're at, right? <laughs> yeah, it does. It's, it's not unlike the parenting conversation where parents, you know, call the professional and be like, fix my kid. And then the professional's like, well, actually, you know, uh, we got to work with you because you're leading the kid, right? Like it's the same thing. Leaders call me all the time and be like, Hey, my team's not talking to each other. I'm like, interesting. Uh, (laughs) what are your conversations look like with your team? Well, I don't really do that, you know? So it's like, okay. So we do, you know, they call about the team, but it really starts with all the individuals and skill building and capacity building. Um, because, you know, none of us, like it's, in, it's, it's so interesting to look back. So I have a, a almost 20 year old daughter who's in second year university, who's, you know, she's going through these stages of, of stretching her own container and her own capacity to handle life. Right. Last year, she just had school and lived on res. This year, she's moved out. She's got school and a job. And so it's like, she's had those moments of has to like, stretch. I love, I love that. You know, she's had those moments of like, ah, mom, this is too much. Like I took on too much. And it's like, okay, we, we can't turtle back to just go to school because that's not realistic for you for the rest of your life. You know, this is not going to be the heaviest load you have to carry. <laughs> Let's be realistic. <laughs> You know, maybe mom, save that message for later though, (laughs) you know, but how do we, how do we 
stretch you a little bit so that you're building capacity, but not putting you into like complete overload and shutdown, you know, where you feel like you can't manage it. And I feel like this is the same thing we have to start doing as we build leadership capacity inside our organizations. We can't just take the top performer who is an individual contributor and go, you were great on your own. Let's make you a leader of 10 people. Well, we've been doing that for so long. Do you, why do you mean that? that's a yeah, bad idea? We have. And in the technically oriented professions, I think it's even worse where you've got somebody who their whole career have been rewarded by their output, the output mm-hmm. that their two hands and mind in, com- in combination created. Then, you know, it's the old, it's the old joke that just because you're good at making cabinets doesn't mean you should run the cabinet making company of a hundred people. <laughs> but, totally. But we so... it. Is it because of its intangible, because of leadership's intangible nature and maybe in the past are, it was so much easier for us to measure the technical capabilities and capacity of an individual that this part just kind of got left to happenstance. And not always, there's organizations that have leadership, there's famous stories out there, but it seems to be the outlier, not the rule. (laughs) Yeah, I think, and I haven't really dug into the research, so this is just my own kind of anecdotal, you know. Mm-hmm. thoughts and opinions on this. I think I think historically we had an abundance of labor which we don't have now. Yeah. Okay. So if we lost people along the way, it was more like a blip rather than We a, just plug a, somebody new into the wheel, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um the way that we lead people and the way that we work is really born out of, you know, going to a factory to produce a widget, you know, so like you were on a line, you were in a team, you were punching numbers, you were doing something. And a lot of the way we work now, it's around creative thought. It's around problem solving. Um, and so the, the work has shifted, the labor market has shifted. Um, and we see that the companies and leaders that are still entrenched in this, in this thought process of this is how it has always worked for us are, are not thriving right now. And let's be honest, that, that, that all stemmed from a military command and control structure. Like if yeah. you really run the, run, run the line down, it's only the, it's only in our recent history that we've been, like you said, creative problem solving, the ability to think in abstract ways versus just do the thing we've built them. Yeah. We've built them. We've built a machine. And as long as you push that right button every day at the right time, the machine will work. Well, yeah. that, that, the, that's accelerating in the other direction. I think faster than ever, like you said, the organizations that are struggling to innovate and constantly change, and they're always to a certain degree under fire because yeah. their business model is being tested by consumer shifts or competitors at a lower price. And you're all, the bullets are always coming in <laughs> and yeah. you don't, you can't get all your troops to line up at that point. It just doesn't make sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I love what you said about, you know, my team isn't doing this. My team isn't doing that. You just, I got a dog during COVID back to your vet comment. And yeah. my second time at dog school, I went, Oh, this has very little to do with my dog. This is everything with teaching me how to be a dog owner. And, but it was the moment of like, Oh, we're going to go to dog school. and My dog will learn how to be a better dog. And it took right? me, I, I was a little bit slow on the uptake. It took me to the second class when I looked around and went, wait a second. I said to my wife, wait she's like, minute. she's like, yeah, you're right. I'm like, wow, shit. I really had that flipped, flipped around in my head. But to think about leadership yeah. that same way, like I'm going to hire a leadership coach because my team, there's things going on with my team. Well, where do you fit in this? No, I'm good. I'm fine. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm, being, I'm, I'm taking on a male even character as I do this. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm good. I know yeah. I'm on time, but they, they need that need the help. My dog needs training. I yeah. c- clearly have never owned a dog before, but I know I know how to train a dog. I didn't have right. a goddamn clue how to train my dog. Right. <laughs> what a great comparison. I'd never really just lined the two up that way. And who does? Same thing with a kid, you know, that you have a baby, they give it to you, you take it home, you're like, I don't know what to do with this thing. Like <laughs> and and again, we do what we know, which is how we were raised, which let's be honest for a lot of us was like, maybe I don't want to repeat some of those mistakes. They they made the best choices that they were available to them at the time, but we have more options, right? We have more options. And I I truly believe like when we know better, we do better. And so this is all about this evolution. I mean, there's jobs in the marketplace right now that didn't exist when I was in high school. My kids have different opportunities than I did. Um, and the workforce, the workforce is demanding different. The workplaces are demanding different. And I really think companies and leaders that that aren't kind of proactively engaging in this human side of things um, are really going to be at a disadvantage. And there's a number of studies um, that have been done, especially through the pandemic, that just reinforce this. I mean, just 
you know, all you have to do is Google, you know, the impact of empathy on the bottom line of a company, and you will get a number of studies that show like, yes, it impacts overall profitability, revenue, but things intangibly like engagement, creativity, innovation, um, it lowers rates of burnout, it keeps people in their jobs. So like, the cost of replacing one employee is huge right now. And there's a shortage of employees. So if you do nothing but focus on keeping the people you have in your company, you're already going to be ahead of the game. And to your point about agree with it, believe in it, don't want to do it the way you've always done it. The job market has changed and your relationship with your employees, your team, the people that actually help you do whatever it is that you've decided to to solve in the world. It's not what it was. And so ignore at your peril. Um, We talked a little bit about gender. What about age? Um, Is this, this is clearly legacy. There's clearly a group of individuals that were led this way, you know, in your case, but you bucked it and said, no, no, I don't like what you're trying to like, you know, phase out of me. And I love what you said earlier, you know, emulating leadership styles and how challenging that can be because no one can ever do it like the the other person did it, no matter what it is. But if it's so contradictory to your core, how that can literally make you feel almost sick (laughs) in the sense that you're you're so misaligned. Are you seeing for a younger generation a need, a drive, a openness? Let's play with that a little bit. An openness to this style of an approach. And maybe there's just, it is actually more of a demand <laughs> that they demand this type to be treated this way. Yeah, I think, um, I think more so they grew up with it and they're demanding it now. Um, in the, and in so, the workplace, back to the parent yeah, to the workplace kind of analogy are. that you've been pulling through. Yeah, yeah. Right. So they've grown up with it in schools and and more so than we we did. Um, so they're demanding it in the workplace. And when they don't get it, they're totally fine to leave because because they have an abundance of choice and the labor is what is in demand, not jobs right now, right? Like there are so many openings. There's so many different ways that these, these young folks can go out and make a living. Like yeah. YouTube wasn't a thing when you and I were kids, yeah. like job, let's be job in its traditional sense is, is, is literally, uh, it's uh, totally uh, shifted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And they're fine with, it's you know, a, it's ability to earn money to create the lifestyle I want. And, and if yeah. that happened to be a job, well, fine. But there's so many other options. To your there's point. so many other yeah. options. And so I think this is the piece that a lot of our, um, you know, kind of boomers, Gen X type leaders, which, you know, I'm in the Gen X category. Like we have to be aware of uh, that when these people have options too, they're totally fine to exercise their options. Um, and it's not that they don't want to come to work or they don't want to do the job. They just want to do it in a way where they feel valued. And this is why the skill of really getting in their shoes and understanding their perspectives and understanding what they're going through um, mm. is so important. And I think we need to lose this mentality of like, well, I was brought up in the sink or swim era. So that's how I'm going to raise you. You know, it's like, no, no. Yeah. We know better. We're going to do better, right? And I think the leaders that are embracing that are are far more successful. Mm-hmm. Well, let, so we spent the first twenty minutes kind of talking about the idea that we both clearly are embraced and, and agree. And let's yeah. talk about the for the for those of for, for those of our audience that are listening. Go, yeah, yeah, no, I, I believe you. I agree. But how do I take this on? How do I start yeah. making this part of my organization? Let's get into a little bit. We've, I think we've, we've beat up the, the, the what and the why, but what about the how? Let's talk about, from your perspective, you walk into an organization. First of all, who's calling you? Mid-level, senior level, CEO, depends on the company. Like Who initiates the, 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 the first, uh, you know what? We need to call this. I've heard of this Aaron person. We need to call yeah. him. What happens next? <laughs> It's really interesting because a lot of the times of late, um, I would say up until fairly recently, it's been kind of, you know, the HR business partners, HR people going, hey, I need to bring something different, right? I want to plant these seeds. And so it's it's been more of a... Mm. I don't want to say a check the box exercise, but that's kind of what it's no, felt we've like. Got a, we've Very, got a two day retreat. We need to yeah. do something on human. Okay, let's do something on empathy. Like I get you it know? 100%. Yeah. Mm. And and HR definitely sees the value because they're the ones that end up usually playing this role, right? They're the ones that have to develop the AKA empathic cleaning, cleaning, skills. cleaning up the mess. <laughs> yeah, right? They have to have the tough conversations. They have to sit and go, okay, what do you need? How do we accommodate? You know, they're the ones that have to develop this empathic skill because they're having these conversations. And leaders up until, you know, and, and still in some organizations will abdicate this responsibility yeah. to their HR business partners. Um, is that a first no go like for you is like you as a leader or as the the manager or as the person connected to that individual who's working with you for you to me, 
you've got to have those conversations yourself if you're truly going to play this. Like that seems like a non-negotiable to me. Absolutely. One, you don't know how to, you might be a little bit scared because it's kind of scary if you're not used to it, right? Mm -hmm. It is. And you're going to have to deal with some messy emotions. Like let's just call a spade a spade, you know, like that's, that's what this is. You're going to have to, people think differently than you. So you're going to have to, it's going to test your perspective. It's going to test your opinions and it's going to test your emotions. And so all of these things, AKA your empathy, (laughs) right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you are, um, especially if your habit, and I call it a habit, because again, it's just what we practice. If your habit is I'm right, the way I see the world is right. Everyone else has got this backwards or is wrong, or, you know, uh, I'm not emotional. You're emotional. Uh, you're going to have, you're <laughs> going to have laughing. more difficulty. It's so, it's so, it's so true. <laughs> you know, you're going to have more difficulty sitting with this person and having this conversation. So you've got more work to do, you know? Um, and I equate building empathy skills. So this is the, how it's small reps over small reps consistently over time. It's the yeah. same way we build physical fitness is how we build. Don't lift the heaviest um, weight. The first day you go in the gym and they go, Oh my God, right? that was terrible. I'm never going to the gym again. Like I, never I, had go a, the gym I did again. some coaching around NLP years ago, which was yeah. a huge move for me to really understand how we communicate internally, externally. And they often said, don't start with a nine out of 10 level of intensity of an issue you're trying to work through totally. or start with the two out of 10, get some yeah. success. And kind of that, 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 you know, as long as we're we're getting it around 60, 70% of the time, we stay engaged as humans. If we if we nail it every time, well, oh, I'm an expert. I don't have to worry about it. But if you fail every time, ooh, you stop going to the gym. <laughs> you do. You stop going yeah, to the gym. And yeah, so yeah. there's there's certain things we can do to build um, our own empathic skills. So one, like how often are you taking time to really do your own inner inventory and reflect on mm. what are you feeling? Where is your energy level at? What is your capacity? You know, like how full is your cup? How much can you take on today? Um, you know, because even that little check-in in the morning, let's say before you go to work, you're brushing your teeth and you're like, yeah, I didn't sleep great last night, or I feel like I'm fighting something, you know, I might only be operating at about 60%. That little check-in can save you engaging in those nine out of 10, you know, situations when, when that equipped, day. When you're not equipped because to go you're run not the marathon equipped. that day, right? Yeah, yeah right. Versus I do the check-in and I'm like, damn, I'm feeling good today. You know, I am going to go talk to that person and I am going to take on that thing that's been bugging me because I'm feeling grounded. I'm feeling good. I'm positive. I'm optimistic. You know, I I think we can have a, a decent conversation about this. So that in itself, small practice, right? It's not much. It's a little check-in while you're brushing your teeth two minutes a day, but it makes a huge difference. In your I ability. love tying it to your teeth brushing because for 99% of people, that's a non-negotiable. So let's bolt something to that. <laughs> yes. Right. Atomic yeah. habits. Let's stack them up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. Um, yes. Uh, Touche. A good reference. But, Atomic uh, habits. If you haven't read it, read it. It's great. And it's very applicable. And, they get, and he gives great little like, oh, just here's an easy way to try it. Like it's very, yeah. it makes it very approachable. It's a good read. You know, the other thing, like, and, and I'll often do this in the morning because um, I have a coffee maker that takes like about two minutes to brew my cup of coffee, right? So I'll be sitting there and I'm like, coffee machine's doing its thing. And it's like, okay, you, you are, know. You this, are also percolating. <laughs> yeah, right? It's sort of like, okay, this this situation with either a kid or a teammate or a client, you know, is really kind of getting under my skin. Like, what is, and I'll, I'll challenge myself to be like, what do I think it's like for them? What do I think is most important for them? Yeah. Right. Such a, such a good strategy that we, that you just have to take a pause to sometimes do. Right? You just have to take a pause. And so if you can find these small moments in your day and you can layer in some of these small reps and you can consistently do them over time, you build this capacity to hold your own emotions, to hold other people's emotions, to get in their, their shoes, you know, uh, to really put down your own perspective for a minute because empathy doesn't demand that you agree with someone. It just, it just asks you to understand. Right. And I think this is, if we just, let's use a really hot topic right now, which is work from home. Number one topic. It's one of my my favorites. Okay. (laughs) After I finish, I have a a recent report from some think tank about work from home and what's happening that I'm going to read after you and I get off this. So excellent choice. (laughs) So and specifically in the construction industry, there is a, a very traditional mindset around we have to be on the job site, we have to be in the office. If your butt's not in the cubicle seat, you're not producing, you know, you're not working. 
And so we see a lot of this where, um, especially, you know, during the pandemic, they had to, cause they were sort of forced, you know, government forced to, yep. to allow people some flexibility. But since, uh, we've seen them call everyone back and they're losing people because of it, specifically, um, young people. Uh, so there's a huge gap in the knowledge, in the leadership, in the tenure of people, uh, because people are going, this doesn't work for me. You know, I, I don't have to be at home every day, but I need the option to manage my life. We all, want and, a per- we all demand a personalized approach to our lives facilitated by these devices we hold in our pockets, right? Like I right? want it, I want it the way I want it. <laughs> and I, I like, I don't disagree. <laughs> and we all have inner battles, right? And, hmm. and so if we were to truly, you know, take a lead with empathy approach to the work from home dilemma, we would be empowering leaders to have these conversations to set up whatever schedule or whatever, you know, um, policy or procedure or arrangement needed to happen to keep that employee engaged in producing. Right. So it, you know, they might start out with like, Oh, I want to work from home every day. And you would be as a leader, like, okay, that doesn't work for us, but I can give you two days a week you know, or I can, you know, we can have this. It's, it's, it's where you, you come in with this, like, I need to understand the why behind, like, what is it that you need? And then what's the common ground we can find. Hmm. Right. And I think the irony in this whole thing, it sounds, so, it sounds so easier. And when you lay it out, it's like, well, that doesn't sound so easy. Re- reach common ground. Agree. It, it, negotiation, like mediations, whatever it, it, it's, yeah. it's, but again, we, we're not taught how to communicate effectively. We're, we're, most of us are terrible at delegating. We're terrible at negotiating. And all of those are required to be a good leader. <laughs> yeah. And, and if I'm already overwhelmed and I'm already stressed out and I'm already feeling the pressure and I haven't dealt with my own stuff and my own feelings around that, and my personal perspective is work from home is baloney, I'm going to go into that conversation totally unwilling to hear what you have to say. Right. And this is the practice. This is where, you know, those small practices I said, if you practice for a week when your coffee's brewing, going, I wonder what it's like to be that employee. I wonder what it's like. What are, what are they going through? What's it, you know, this is where we can start to build that capacity. And the irony of this whole thing, and I've watched it my whole career, is people in senior leadership positions have complete autonomy and flexibility over how they run their lives and manage their time. Yep. Right. They can take a kid to a doctor's appointment at 2 PM. They can work from home because they have a guy coming to clean the furnace. They can do whatever they want. And yet for those frontline employees, it's like you have to be in your cubicle 12 hours a day. And this is where the people are going like, uh, this doesn't fit anymore, guys. Well, it's hypocritical at its, at its deepest roots. It right? is, right? <laughs> it's completely hypocritical. I love that you brought it up. We moved, obviously, like everyone, we were forced to uh, a work from a work from home model. And we've now adopted a work from anywhere model. And our team, yeah. our culture has never been stronger. But, and I had to change a lot of my, like, it's so we've always been, our employees are important, but we were almost, oh, our clients are the most important. We're service-based and yeah. stuff with the client. We switched it. We said, no, what if we empowered? And it started to happen almost back accident because everybody I would talk to was like, oh my God, like I'd ask the question, what can I do to make your life easier? That was our culture during COVID is how do we make things easy? Dot, dot, dot. Easy to get done at five, easy to get the work done, easy to find the files. And the answer I get now is like, just don't make me go back to the office because my life yeah. is so much better. So yeah. we've all of a sudden taken on this very employee-centric culture because everyone that comes to work for us now is like, you're not going to make me like our biggest value proposition is you're not going to make me go back to the office. And yeah. of course, and we've worked very hard though. But now when I sit and watch our Slack channel, we have an out of office notification. I'm going out for two hours because I got to run an errand, but don't worry, I'll be back on tonight and finish my work. Or I've got to take my daughter. I've got to take that. I've got to do. And it took me a little bit. The first six months I had the, the, the well, you got to be at your desk at eight. And, and all of a sudden I was like, wait a second, this is what doing this in real life actually looks like. And I get to deal with my own shit. Because no one in my team is complaining about no one not getting like our values are be accountable, be resourceful, be helpful, be curious to learn and speak up. So as long as you do that, I don't really care if you take an hour off during the day. And if you're not doing that, all the rest of the team will let you know because we work in a milestone deliverable project based world. But I had to really get out of my own way. And I, and I was got to sit with it 
and watch it happen and see my reaction and not do anything about it except for analyze it. But it took a few months. Like it, it definitely did. And the end result has been net positive. But I could see where I could have got, so and so was gone for an hour. Like I was focusing on the wrong thing, but it was an old habit. Absolutely. It was an old habit. <laughs> it's an old habit. And, and right there is small things over time, right? Stretched your container to be able to hold <laughs> this yeah. capacity, right? And now you've got this capacity to kind of look beyond the hours, so to speak, and to go, what are the deliverables, right? And are the clients happy? And are the employees happy? Because at the end of the day, if you, and this is what people are really struggling with right now, especially in the service and project and construction industry, they don't got the people to deliver for the clients. Yeah. Because they're struggling to keep the people. So maybe you have to change how you deal with the people <laughs> so you can keep delivering on this amazing deluge of work that so many companies yeah. have and everyone's busy. But I think also like the, it wasn't working when we were in the office. So the myth of bringing no. it back to the office to make it work again. Oh, the, the whole, well, let's be honest. The good old days is always a myth. Oh, remember the good old days? I'm like, oh, when, when was that exactly? Yeah. A leader once said to me, he was taught, frustrated with staff. It was one of our clients. So I had to be careful. And he's like, oh, I'm, I wish it was like the good old days. I'm like, what, like, what, what are you referencing? Like when you could threaten yeah. people's lives and make them come to a wall, well, when I didn't have to deal with all this bullshit, meaning yeah. emotions and meaning humans. But yeah. I'm like, what are we talking? Are you like medieval times? Like when was that the right way? And if it was the right way, we wouldn't have evolved out of it in the, in the pace that we right. have, right? Because it's been a pretty yeah. short cycle from independent well, work and entrepreneurship and farmers and how we, how we like supported ourselves to working in factories to going back to being way more independently minded and creative in how we survive. It's a pretty, been a pretty short run that we've, uh, many of us are reluctant to let go of, even though it hasn't lasted that long in the scope of like evolution of societies. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other thing, you know, that I had to have a lot of conversations with leaders, uh, because my leadership experience kind of growing up in the construction industry was that for the most part, I was led by, well, I never had a female leader. So right. I was always led by men. 90% of them had partners at home that took care of life. If they worked, they worked part-time, casual, flexible hours in, in roles like nursing, you know, like very yeah, a lot, traditionally a lot of what female. was that? Yeah. Based on the age range you're just, you're talking about. Yep. It is what it is. Yeah. So I had to have a lot of conversations that was like, my life does not look like your life. Both my husband and I work. We're both trying to juggle pickups and drop-offs and mm -hmm. kids and schedules and soccer games and all the things. I do not have somebody at home managing life. <laughs> I don't have somebody at that, home that's grocery my other, shopping. That's my other job. Right? You know, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. my other job. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. I'm going to be here. It is full-time as well. <laughs> and I'm going to give you that. And um, hmm. I had an opportunity to work from home in like 2005 to 2012 for a company um, that is global, but we were home-based. and. I loved it. It was before the pandemic, before everything, because I finally felt like I could throw a load of laundry in and have a meeting at the same time. Yeah. I never felt more in control of my life than when I was working from home because I no longer had to separate the two. And it doesn't work from everybody. My husband doesn't love working from home. And and some industries, and yeah, let's speak very right. clearly. Like we work in a knowledge-based industry where our, our tools are our computers and our connectivity. Like that's yep. very different than than some than some. But back to your point about the flexibility and really what we're back to is like as leaders, do we have the the self-awareness and the willingness or the curiosity or the interest to go, hey, this way I've gotten to here, you know, what got you here won't get you there and all those catchy sayings. Absolutely. So what we're really talking about, it's not work from home. We're just picking on one that's big and shiny and then like right. causes a reaction. I've got into um, many of the argument with some of my older white male friends. I'll be very blunt about, ah, oh, your culture will never work. I'm like, well, wh when's it going to stop? When's it going to start being terrible? Wow. Well, I'm like, it's working now. They just won't, they just want to argue with me because they want to go to the office and I don't. <laughs> Lily is what it comes down yeah. to. Yeah. But it's that willingness to be, but I have other friends that are like, huh, I don't know if that'd work for us, but I'm really curious. Like, how did you do this? And like, how have you dealt with, you know, what's your culture look like? And it's so different when just that curiosity to wonder what it might be. And right away, I'm like, oh, like that would be someone I would like to work for because if they're that curious about this topic, they're probably a little, they're probably open to a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think you hit the nail on the head and so many leaders don't realize that it's it, they, in doing this work, they will go through like any change. There is a period of discomfort. What's the change? Right? When it's the, you it's are, the model, right? It's, it's how when it, you are it, in yeah. the messy middle, when you are going through the metamorphosis, when you are like in the cocoon and you are the goo, you're not the caterpillar, <laughs> you're not the butterfly. It's like, shit, I'm in the middle of this and I don't know if I really want to stay. 
but it's that small actions consistently over time, you know, so we don't, we don't stress the system too much, but you can also, um, you know, good change would be like you, you had the metrics you could measure. Are the customers happy? Are the things getting done? Yes. Keep my eye on that, not on, you know, hours and bums and seats and, and things like that. Right. And so we need to support leaders through this transition. And that's, that's what gets me out of bed is I, I do a lot of training, but what I really love is the coaching piece and the sustaining the change over time so that we do see changed behavior because we don't see changed behavior when you come into a one day training class. Let's be clear. <laughs> you, you go to the gym once you don't, you don't leave in shape, right? It's just, you don't leave in and, shape, and often right? the first couple of workouts are the worst. <laughs> they are the worst. Yeah. You know, you're the sorest afterwards. You feel like giving up. It's, it's hard to get there. Um, you know, and it's, it is those small actions over time. And so that's where, uh, working with teams in that bigger container over that longer period of time brings me a great deal of joy. Do you work with organizations early on to kind of set some type of a North star around this? So when you're in the goo face <laughs> to, to use your, yeah. your metaphor, uh, I got to keep my eye on like, yeah, yeah, but we're, we're, we're heading here. We're going, yeah. this is where we're going to go. So is that part of when you first engage with an organization, you know, individuals for sure, but even at a broader scope of like, you know, this is what we're not happy with now. This is what's not working for us. This is where we want to head. And it might be metrics driven. It might be qualitative, quantitative, but how critical it is for organizations to set a bigger, like we want to change these things because therefore it will then allow us to be X. So when they're in the part where it's easier, like my friend explained it as elastic, you get to the end of that band and it wants to pull you back yeah. so bad. But if you break that elastic, you get to move to the next elastic and start stretching again. But there's yeah. that point where it'll always whiplash you back. Is that, does there need to be that higher level goal at an organizational level to go, okay, yep, this is the, Aaron told us this was going to be the shitty part (laughs) and we're in it. Absolutely. Okay. And I, and I tell people that, like I tell them, you will end up in the messy middle. You will get to the point where it feels harder to change than it is to stay the same. You're going to want to go back, you know, you're going to want to go back and you're going to probably have these moments where you stumble and fall and you do like send the crappy text message instead of going and having the personal the co- the, conversation, the company wide email, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, um, which is a whole other thing because so many people now avoid conversations because we have teams and I'm like, teams is the bane of my existence and good communication right now. Um, but you know, you're going to have these moments <laughs> where you're going to want to form doesn't make us better communicators. Oh gosh. No, it sure doesn't. And instant doesn't make it better either. Um, <sighs> You know, you're going to have these moments where you're going to want to revert back to what feels comfortable, where you feel safe. And we talk a lot about our brains as human beings hardwired to keep us safe and surviving, not thriving. But if we want to build thriving companies and thriving cultures, we constantly have to question that pull for safety and that pull to like, Mm. is, am I actually in danger here? right? Am I actually in danger or is this just my, you know, amygdala part of my brain and and it's surveillance system going, I think there's a danger here, right? Because it doesn't know the difference between a tough conversation with a colleague and a lion coming across yeah. the safari. Like it really the, the, doesn't. the lion in the grass and the email goes bing and you're like, Oh shit, is that from right? my boss? Oh, what's that? Yeah. We, and yeah, we respond it doesn't, that fight or it doesn't know the difference. And so you know, if we want to create these thriving cultures, then we have to change the way we think we have to build skills. Um, and you can rewire your brain. That's the beautiful part of it, right? Just because uh, you ne- learn neuroplasticity, to do it's not even a debate. It's a fact, but, it's a you, fact. but what, but what are you rewiring it with and being very deliberate about that? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very exciting. So for yourself, how long have you been, how long have you been, obviously, sorry, 20, how long have you been in the role that you're in now? So I've been full-time in my business since 2020. Okay, nice. Um, so coming up, just finishing up the third year. And um, I was doing kind of both the corporate gig and this uh, from about 2016. So four years prior to that. So it's okay. been a while. Nice. So, so yeah. this, the, 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 the side hustle, which has become very popular. These exactly. Days. Exactly. And from your perspective, is it... Are, are you optimistic? Is it, is it getting better? Are you seeing more traction, not only in your own business, but more traction in your business means more people are having this conversation or are curious about it. So do you have a sense of optimism that this is one catching on Two, it's also people just realizing it's a non-negotiable mm-hmm. back to the, Absolutely. back to the people issue. If you don't do this, your peril is you'll have the work and not have the people to do it. 
Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm extremely optimistic and both from a lived experience and from, you know, all the studies and research and everything that comes out. And every time, you know, LinkedIn, my feed spills this up. It's a with heavily researched topic these days. For HBR, sure. you know, yeah, yeah it's yeah. like, it's heavily researched. Um, and I think we're, we've been trying to build the case and, you know, one of my pet peeves is when we refer to it as a soft skill, because I don't think that one, there's anything soft or easy about learning it. I don't think there's anything, um, I think it has a huge impact when we use it, right? Um, and so, uh, if anything, I refer to them as like power skills, or you know, like because because they really do um, th- this ability to respond empathically and then take action from that place. Well, I would argue as technology slowly takes away the repetitive, like analytic, linear tasks and does them incredibly well. As humans, we're actually left with the human parts, <laughs> actually. <laughs> And if you're not good at that, then, well, why would I hire you? Because I can get a computer to run my Excel program for me. I can get it to run my formulas and do my math. I'm not trying to minimize that skill, but we all know that what's happening there, what those tools are not great at is what we're talking about right here. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And and, and And hopefully they won't be good at any time soon or we'll really be hooped, but that's another conversation. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Well, and that's just it, right? Uh, As long as you have a team of human beings, you need somebody who can actually engage with human beings on a human level. Well, that seems like a really straightforward way to, way to explain that. <laughs> I'm like, well, do you have any questions? Um, what about culture? And uh, and I, I don't mean culture as in like the culture of your organization. What about the trends culture like globally? There's other parts of the world that look at these kind of things very differently, still have very hierarchical top-down cultures, top-down uh, power dynamics, I should say, sometimes even yeah. class-based. Class um, for you, when you're working in, I'm assuming you work with cal- with companies in North America primarily. Yep, yeah, primarily. Um, but I'm assuming, but it, hey, we have we have a mixed society. We have people from all over the place. How does that play in, or is it a factor, or does it still just boil down to humanity at the end of the day? Well, I think the common factor is our our common humanity. Um, it boils down to the fact that, um, and I've led an international team before, and what I had to do, I think I had to practice even more was. Mm-hmm stepping into what does this look like for you? Like, why are you not hearing me? Why is communication so difficult? Um, part of it was they'd never been led by a woman before. It just doesn't happen yeah. where they come from. And I've, I've interviewed people that have said, oh, cause I have a name that could be male or female, right? Aaron, people don't yeah, know yeah, by my yeah. name. I mean, okay. they see the spelling North Americans assume that it's, uh, uh, female, but I've gotten on the phone with people before and they're like, oh my gosh, you're a woman. I can't work for you. Right. And so instead of having a reaction, I get it, but it still just blows my mind. Right. Why don't Um, you let the person show up for who they are and then decide not just let it be based on gender. (laughs) And I can have a reaction and be like, oh my gosh, this person, or I can respond empathically and be like, you know what, this is, this is the culture and the, the framework with which they were raised in. This is nothing against me. You know, no, it arguably um, has zero to do with you at all. Actually, it's nothing to do with me, <laughs> yeah, right? Zero, but, zero, zero. but I can tell you, years ago, like I thought it was very much about me. <laughs> it's like it's not about me, you know. And I, so I, I appreciate think, the honesty on you. Just like this is not a journey of others. This is a journey of self. <laughs> it's a journey of self, and yeah. I think you know, um, the the multiculturalism, this this desire for companies to leverage diversity. So we all know. And we can intellectually grasp that when we have differences of opinions and differences of thought around the table, we make better decisions. I think nobody's arguing with that. The challenge is when we're actually in it. (laughs) When we think we have the best idea and somebody else says, actually, could we do it this way? And we're up against a deadline and we're racing to get the thing done. And we just want to be quick and efficient. It's really hard to take a pause, to put yourself in that other person's shoes and to say, hey, tell me more about that. And yet that is the moment that people feel included. And so when we're talking about the DEI, right, diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's the inclusion piece that empathy plays a part in and can actually make the difference of keeping people at the company. And the illusion of we don't have time to be included. Like, and, and no one will say it that way, but it, you know, I was doing a lot of reading lately. Just, I love curiosity and it's something that's huge in my life. And I'm looking at the role plays in business and there's a whole like the argument that it's just too inefficient to be curious. Like we need to find an answer and just go with it. Yeah. But what if it's the wrong answer? Well, we don't have time to talk about that right now. <laughs> and, yeah. It's an, an empathy, curiosity. Those things kind of sit in similar. And that psychological safety you talked about to even bring it up in the room 
And whether your leader shoots you down or embraces it is what everyone else is watching too. Like it's never a one-on-one. Like if you're in a group setting, everyone's watching how you act and that's the culture you have, right? Mm -hmm. It is. It's, it's not the poster on the wall. It's what you actually do. It's not innovation, trust, and, and, and leadership that's on the, the, the corporate right? values in the lobby. Sorry, anyone yeah. has innovation and trust on their corporate, but, but you and everyone yeah. else has that on there. Yeah. Yeah. It's what you, it's what you actually do in these moments with these people um, that, that tell them how they're supposed to behave, right? And so I always tell my teams, like, the leader carries the weather of the team. Mm, yeah. Right. I like that a lot. So it, yeah. if you walk in a little storm cloud over your head, you're short, you're upset, you're, you know, you don't say hi to people. As you fuses this long, right. You've got no time, no capacity. Uh, you're feeling overwhelmed and stressed. Guess how your team's feeling. I can almost guarantee you they're feeling exactly the same way and they might not even know why. Hmm. I had a friend tell me years ago, he goes, Tyler, can I give you some leadership advice that I didn't have when I was younger? I said, what's that? My friend Barry used to run a large uh, D engineering firm. 250 people. He says, never underestimate your amplitude as a leader. Yeah. You forget to say hi to somebody. Their story is they're getting fired that day. Your story is right. you were super busy and you didn't have the, you just didn't, you just forgot. It says yeah. amplitude. I love the weather one though. You, you are the weather of your team. You you walk in with storm clouds over your head. Every, it gets all over everybody in, in, in the office. Um, okay. Last question. I promise. I promise. <laughs> oh, gosh. empathy and vulnerability. Yeah. Into the relationship. They seem one and the same, but different. They're very, they're different. You know, um, that moment of, and I've, I've written some articles that a lot of reading on imposter syndrome, something I've wrestled with off and on in my career and saying you like being open to not admitting you don't have the best answer. Oftentimes the, just the sheer inability to be vulnerable and have to appear like that myth of the leader with all the answers, where does empathy and vulnerability, do they hang out together? Are they kind of one, like one in each pocket, <laughs> one on each, one on each, one on your one side of your tool belt, one on the other, but how do they interplay at a leadership level for you? Yeah, I think um, they're definitely partners. Um, And I think maybe the best way to illustrate this is just to share a brief story. So I was, um, again, mid-career, I was leading a team. uh, And my daughter ended up having um, a medical diagnosis and some learning disabilities. She was in grade six. It was a huge personal stress on me. Um, and I remember I was having lunch with my husband in the food court one day and I'm like, I just need to quit my job and go deal with this with her. Cause I can't manage both right now. And he's like, okay, if that's what we need to do, that's what we need to do. So I had to go have this conversation with my leader. And, um, so I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm explaining what's going on at home. And I said, so I'm here to give my, like, I'm here to resign and I'm going to give you my two weeks. And I'll never forget his response because he was like, first of all, he just acknowledged, he's like, you know, I can appreciate and thank you for sharing what's going on at home. He's like, I've been through something similar with my kids. It's not the same, but I understand the stress and the the mm-hmm. burden that you're carrying. He goes, if you're open to it, I'd like to explore a different option. And I was like, well, what option? Like, I need to go deal with my kid. I don't, I don't see another option here. And he's like, what I'd like to see is I'd like to talk to HR and see if we can get you a leave of absence so that you can go and deal with this, but know you have a job to come back to because we value you. And to me, that's leading with empathy, right? He took time to understand what was going on with me. And he was able to demonstrate that one, I'm important to the organization. I've had other leaders because I've had multiple conversations like this over the course of the career with all the kids and all the things I've had other leaders that have just accepted my resignation at face value and been like, great. See you later. (laughs) Just the way that feels is just listening to you, like being able to put myself in that, like what that would feel like versus the, okay, cool. Thanks. Yeah. Bye. Whatever. You know, and I think that's the difference is like, he took time to get into my situation. He understood what was important to me and he was able to demonstrate like, I'm valuable and I'm going to work with you to find the solution that's going to work for you. Right. And that bonded me more to him as a leader and to the company than any other it's action. Like the loyalty that creates the humanity that it, that it's totally the reality yeah. of like, well, that was pretty fluffy. <laughs> oh yeah. But look what, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's the, yeah. the silliness of that, of that, of putting it in that bucket. Uh, I really, yeah. I really appreciate that story. And for any leaders that are listening, uh, pay attention. Cause you'll probably have an opportunity similar, maybe not as, not, not as intense, but those little, those little twos out of tens show up every day, right. As on your, on, your, on your desk as a, as a leader of other humans. 
you know, and I think right now, especially if you have the opportunity to offer someone, because engineering and construction, we do not do part-time or job share or roles like at all. It's just not a part of our conversation, but I'm like leaders, if you have an opportunity, like this is something you need to explore because this could mean the difference between keeping that person in your organization and keeping that knowledge and tenure and bonding them to the organization. If they're going through something where they need two or three days a week, you know, like mm-hmm. I'd urge you to consider it. And you want to know the real secret? It might just make your life as a leader better in the process. <laughs> what? No. I'm like, uh, uh, Aaron, thank you. This is such a good conversation. Yes, I'm a little bit biased and and I've been going down this road over time and grew up with all the bad examples of leadership and watched all the movies of the yelling and the like, I was like, oh, this doesn't seem right. But you get into your own leadership role and uh, you, you being an entrepreneur, being in small business, you don't get training. You take a leadership course, but it's most most of mine has been around self development. Of like, this isn't working for me. This behavior is closing more doors yeah. than it's opening. I need to go figure it out. And through that, I always believe that becoming a better leader is a very personal journey, and leadership is the outcome. Improving oneself is really the 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 the, the fodder for that mill. <laughs> but that's that's yeah. my own view. I'll share. With it. <laughs> if if you're not feeling good about things, guess what. <laughs> Well, and that's just it. You know, if there's an issue, like I said, most people come, my team's not doing this. My team's not doing that. It's, we got to look in the mirror first. It's you. There might be some things going on in the team, but we look in the mirror first. Uh, uh, 100%. But as a leader, that's your responsibility to get to our, I've said that to people like, oh, this person, this, this person, that I'm like, Hey, did you realize that as a leader, part of your role is to help that person to get the most out of them? Because and 99% of the time, they're not going to be the perfect if they just, yeah, but that's who you have support them and work with them. And you'd be shocked what can come out (laughs) of that environment. So I I love it. We're both clearly very biased in this direction. (laughs) What's the best way for someone to get a hold of you, learn more? You've got a great website that I read through this morning. What's your preferred, what do do you, where do you love to send people? Yeah. I mean, for, for information, definitely the website, which is www.aaronthorpe.ca. And then, uh, either probably LinkedIn is my best social platform. So, uh, there's lots of information there. You can jump into the DMS, uh, message me there, um, or send an email, Aaron at aaronthorpe.ca. It's pretty easy. Aaron, thanks for coming on. Thank you for the work you do because it is needed. And I do have hope that it will be, I, again, what's your number one thing? What's your number one responsibility as a leader? Instill hope in the people around you that tomorrow will be better than yesterday. Mm -hmm. And chatting with you gives me a lot of hope in, in that area. So thank you. Thank you, Tyler. It's been great. 